podcast uh, i'm your host cole harris with my co-host brayden harris but today we have a special guest we have matt keller here with us matt thanks for being here thanks for doing this guys yes sir we're excited um i'll give you all a little bit of background on matt um he's been married for 10 years he has three daughters um he graduated from southwestern baptist theology the- theological seminary twice first time he got a master of divinity degree his second time, he got the Master of Theology. Um, he's been working in youth ministry on and off for about 10 years. He has been the youth pastor and is now the family pastor of Floresville Baptist Church in Floresville for three years now. Um, Matt, did I miss anything? You know, no, that's, that's the big highlights, man. Yeah. Like, uh, other than I grew up in Indiana and have lived in the South for the last um, 2008, so 12 years, so... Uh, a different world sometimes not usually I, i've gotten used to it but like uh there's some things that are different about the south the whole yes sir yes ma'am thing's weird to me the just the the mannerism <laughs> yeah because you say yes sir yes ma'am to your grandpa you don't say that to you know somebody who's 10 years older than you oh so, yeah well yeah <laughs> um do they is that a myth or they did you used to call soda pop is that a thing in Indiana? Or is, uh, or is that? I'd call it anything. Yeah, soda, soda pop. Coke, soda, uh, soda pop. Yeah. Anyways, well, I guess we'll just uh, – we have a lot of questions on the uh, itinerary here, so I guess we'll just start start shooting. The first question um, I have for you – actually, the first question I had for you uh, was just to tell us a little bit about your life as a Christian and your journey – to becoming a pastor, like the, the things you think God revealed to you, the maybe the struggles you had in becoming a pastor? Because we all know it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been a Christian since what? You were 18 years old, you said? 17. 17. 17. Yeah, I didn't grow up in church at all. Um, went maybe when I was a little kid to a Methodist church. I really don't remember any of that. Uh, I was just told by my mom uh, back in the day that's what we did. Um the way I always tell it to people when they ask me about the testimony is that, um, you know, most Christians and people in the South know what John 3.16 is. Right? When mm-hmm. I say when they know what John 3.16 is, they can usually quote it. Whereas not only could I not quote it growing up, I didn't even know what John meant or 3 or 16. <laughs> like I had no reference point in my mind for like a chapter in a book of the Bible. Right? Yeah. Um, so when I was 17, I got invited to church to play basketball. You know, me being from Indiana, I'm a typical basketball player, right? Uh, uh, spent some time baby. Yeah, exactly right. They um, Then they started inviting me to the youth group after I started playing basketball there, and I thought it was a bunch of weirdos. You got, you got to understand, you know, Christian culture, you know, 20 years ago, though. Uh, you know, all the songs had motions to them. And yeah, like so I walked in the vacation like, Bible school kind of yeah, vibe to it. Yeah, exactly right. And I was like, "You guys are a bunch of weirdos." You know all these songs, <laughs> you do all these hand movements too. Yeah. Um, but eventually, heard the gospel uh, from the pastor and from the youth pastor, and came to faith in, in Jesus when I was seventeen. Um, after that, I spent a significant amount of time, a couple of years, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, one of the big marking points for me is I was, in, you know, I was involved in youth ministry stuff and helping out after high school. Um, one of the issues that came up was 
Um, I was basically told, again, this is another evangelical cultural thing from 20 years ago, that I needed to be basically be a Christian businessman in order to be a good pastor. You need to be of a certain personality. Well, I went to uh, B- well, it's BSM down here. I went to B- uh, it's BCM up north, right? Uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministry or whatever. And uh, had this really awesome guy named Roger Bear um, who showed me what it meant to have like his real personality um, come out in his teaching and in his, in his ministry. Um, and he was one big driving force in me wanting to go into ministry. Um, the big draw throughout the, you know, my last 15, 20 years has been, um, reaching people who are like me. So when I yeah. teach and when I talk, I try to think of what, um, you know, what, how would 17 year old or 16 year old Matt Keller, like understand any of this? Um, so, I have this big heart for for uh, reaching people who don't grow up in a Christian home. Um, it all, honestly leads to impatience for me for for people who grew up in church and how they get tired of it and bored of it and don't want anything to do with yeah. it. But at the same time, this is one of the draws for youth ministry and family ministry for me was reaching people like me. So simple enough. And then when it comes to call to ministry, there's a bunch of arguments about what the call looks like. I never had a vision or, you know, a prayer time, what mostly happened is I saw godly men as pastors and youth pastors show me examples, and God put a, a desire in my heart to uh, emulate that and do stuff like that. That's, that's the biggest, easiest way to explain it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah um, well, I mean, you're 35 years old, correct? Yeah. So uh, over... You're, I mean, 17, 35 minus 17, that's what, 18 years. Over your 18 years of being Christian, there had to been, you know, some ups, some downs, some, you know, spiritual highs, some, you know, some seasons where you feel separation from God. How would you, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, about that, those those yeah. struggles. Yeah, well, one, one of the big things that, that I actually taught about this last Wednesday night and um, what I call the danger of chasing an experience um, when I was 19, I started. To, I would literally go to five to six different services a week because I had this in my. And this is some influence from some people who told me about this and taught me this. Um, but it was also something I was looking for, where people basically taught me. I was running around looking for a a. This sounds horrible, but like a Christian high is what yeah. I was looking for, right? It's, I was looking uh, for that emotional experience. Yes, everywhere. Um, and so here's what happened though. Here's what happened is that when that went away, when I was 20, 21, 22, when I, I had like no avenue to find that, uh, it, it created some massive doubts in my mind because I wasn't feeling it. Right. I wasn't feeling it. So I'm like, okay, this, this can't be real. Cause I'm not feeling it anymore. Like I spent a couple of years just not feeling it. Um, and so I, to me, that's, not that that can't happen. You you can't have an experiential relationship with God. We want to have an experiential relationship with God. It's just we have to be danger of seeking uh, that experience and that being the mark of our Christian faith. So that's exactly. the one big, um, stru- one of the big struggles I've had. The second one actually came my first year in seminary. Um, um, struggling through things like, if you guys know what textual criticism is, like how we got the Bible, um, issues like that. Um, I mean, my first year of seminary, I'd spend nights. I'm like, just, I couldn't sleep at all. 
And I just kept on trying to rehearse over my mind over and over again, like, what are the arguments uh, that show that Christianity is a valid faith? Yeah. Um, and so that, that created an apologetic, right, a defense of the faith bent in me since then, you know, from then on, uh, where I started, you know, reading apologetics and reading background material and stuff like that. I'm still by no, by no means an expert, but my first year of seminary was a real struggle for me. And then one of the things that helped me out was a actually a philosophy of religion class, which is, of all things, it's actually one of my lowest grade in seminary. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's one of the things I've walked away with where it's helped me solidify my faith because I think there are there are genuinely good reasons to believe in Jesus. Yeah, so. it was one of those uh, defining moments kind of like where you look back on um, you know, I had those moments where, you know, if I'm experiencing struggle, experiencing doubt, these these moments I look back on, they're like, okay, this is a moment where um, my faith was uh, validated or, or the moment where God revealed himself to me or, you know, these things that you just yeah. build on and you can revert back to in seasons of struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well Brayden, you want to go on with the, the next question? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, why do we choose Christianity compared to all other religions? Yeah, so as it is the common viewpoint in our culture, it's, it's you know the the term you use is pluralism. The idea of uh, we're a pluralistic society in the United States, right? That we um, yeah we want to freely allow um, all the freedom to worship, freedom to right. choose, basically. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, you know, barring you're not killing people or you know sacrificing children or you know, I'm showing my age here, you know, pulling a Dr. Kevorkian, you know, yeah. about, you know, helping people commit suicide and stuff like that. Um, um, barring that, I'd say that that kind of mentality in our culture has created um, this understanding that all faiths are somehow equally valid. So there's a couple of things that, you know, when I think about this question, I, it comes out. The first one is the story of scripture. Um I think when you place Christianity and the story of Scripture up against every other faith, that there's, there's a couple things that happens. One, I believe it's a more beautiful story. I believe it's a more honest story. And I think um, my pastor and I have been having these conversations. I think it passes what's called a smell test, right? Uh, the, the, the big word would be self-authenticating. But um, okay, so, so this idea of a better story in my mind, the story that leads up to Jesus, the promise of the Messiah that leads up to Jesus coming is more wonderful and more beautiful than any other story you can have. Yeah. Um, the idea of 1,600 years of many, many authors telling ultimately one story in a way that seems impossible, right? Yeah. Di different authors in different locations um, that are all hoping for the Messiah. So that's the other part of it is that I think we have a better story in a sense of like every other religion out there claims you can do it yourself. That you, you yeah. can you can make yeah. your way to heaven. A guy named David Platt, illustration I use often. Um, he says he says he went to uh, India once and was talking to these uh, you know, religious teachers, and um, he walked up to him basically said like, okay, so what do you think of of you know religious experience or, or the truth being like this, like God's on top of a mountain. 
And this mountain, you know, it's, it's 360 degrees. You can go up, you know, 30 different ways, a thousand different ways you can get there, right? Um, and they're all like, they know, respond, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly it, exactly it. You know, you can go up a thousand different ways, a thousand different gods, a thousand different gods. There's not one solid way. And David Platt asked the question, it's still impactful for me. What if God came down? What if instead of God staying up on the mountain, God staying so distant and far away, you know, just longing for you to give him some money or sacrifice an animal to him? What if he came down and and served you? And, yeah, that's and, the uh, – sorry to interrupt you. I have – the, the one point I have on this topic is Christianity is the only religion where God did something for his people. Like all these other religions you are serving, you have to do X amount of acts. But yeah. God did something for his people and the fact that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins when yeah. he didn't have to, when, you know, he's a perfect God. Yeah, I have one scripture I wanted to um, use that uh, just for me, what hits the hardest for me is there's been nothing in my life that I've so far done perfectly. I've not, There's nothing I've accomplished that I've just been able to repeatedly do. And it leaves this, oh, clearly, like the God of the universe knew and we needed to be saved by grace. Like, because myself is not sufficient enough. I, I mean, I tried to diet. I messed up. I tried to, you know, just any certain thing. I would fall short. And in this, I, like if I'm believing in God, then I would know that he's, he's left a, just a way out a way, you know, towards him that allows me to still get that righteousness regardless of, you know, the mistakes I've made. So yeah. Ephesians 2 eight says for by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own. It is the gift of God. And that was kind of pointing to what y'all were saying, like, it's the gift of God. Like, this is, you know, the only God could have done this so that we could be saved, you know, past what we've done. And uh, that, <laughs> that's what that it takes. Clock, man. <laughs> I thought about that clock right when we started about, it's actually a song about Jesus. I forgot, so I didn't turn it off. But yeah, no, uh, the main thing that I was getting was like, there's nothing that I've really been able to do. So why would I think that God would, you know, the God of the universe definitely created something so that I could come back to him regardless of the mistakes I made. You know what I mean? The idea of a, a perfect plan, like, you know, perfection and creation. He he knew um, that he, he gave us the law. He knew we would fall short, but then he, in his perfect plan, knew he would send his, his son to die on the cross. Um, I think this uh, kind of connects with what you were saying, Matt, this perfect story of 1600 years, how it's all connecting and this perfect story of how he sent his son to die on the cross. And um, another, I'll, I'll, I'll allow you to respond to this one, Matt, um, this idea that all religions, like, okay, it, it's kind of this idea. Um, like if you're talking to a stranger, they're like, oh, I'm Muslim or I'm Islamic, whatever. They're like, every religion is just allows the person to live a better life. You know, if he wants to choose to be a Muslim, it's just, if that helps him, that's okay. Or this idea yeah. of just to help you live a better life, whatever works for you. Love Wait, is love type of thing. Like, yeah. That type you of do thing you bro. It's um more of like, like which one is the right one, you know? Yeah. And I'll allow you to respond to that, Matt. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there that come to mind, you know, the classic philosophical, like, you know, uh, philosophy 101, if you're taking it in college, 
Um, the only the thing that comes up with pluralism is always uh, the elephant story, right? You take a, you know half a dozen blind religious teachers, right? They're, they're, they're like in the story, they're blind, right? And they they all get put in front of an elephant, and again, they can't see, so they're told to figure out what's in front of them. So you know, like, the, the thing is that that one of them touches the elephant's foot. Oh, this is a tree, right? One of them touches the elephant's tail. Oh, this is a, a broom. You know, one, one of them touches the elephant's tusk and think it's some kind of like rock, right? And on and on and on, right? Um, the, the pluralistic viewpoint would say this is the way the, way the world works, is that all these religious uh, viewpoints have one snippet of the truth. So that the idea is that you can get something positive out of it because they want a snippet of the truth no matter what uh, – you know, what category you fall in. If you're Muslim, Hindu, uh, you know, Mormon, Christian, whatever, they all have a snippet of truth. So what it's pragmatic is the problem, right? That, um, so there's two things about this, right? This elephant illustration. One would be that the problem is it's an elephant. That's what I'm saying. It's pragmatic. Like the, 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 the belief that there is true spirituality, that there is a spiritual world that it actually exists, um, just because if you see a glimpse of it, it's not really helpful. If you got 99 out of a hundred things wrong, you got one thing wrong that still really helps you. It's really not helpful to you. And the second thing is that from that viewpoint in that elephant story, what you're saying is you're, you're the third party that's sitting outside and, and observing all those blind religious teachers. So it is, it is a position of massive arrogance to yeah. say all these people are idiots. You know, they think this is a, it's a broom. When it's really an elephant the whole time, um, so that's honestly, in my my opinion, the arrogant position of all things. So, with all I said, the real issue comes down to competing truth claims. Like the the the, I believe the heart of Christianity, the starting point of Christianity, yes, is Scripture, but the doctrine of God, who we claim God is from the Scriptures. Very very clearly, every other religion disagrees with one another on who God actually is, right? Christianity has a triune God who is perfect from eternity past, who is both the phrases is transcendent and imminent, that he is beyond us, but he comes near to us. Islam has a God who cannot be Trinity, that's offensive to them, and he is only transcendent. Like he, 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 it is too much for him, not too much for him, it is offensive for God to somehow come down and actually care for us like directly, hands-on in a way, you know, so therefore Jesus. Um, Hinduism would say that there's Brahman, right? That that's a universal spirit that manifests itself in a million gods. You know, that's a random number, but like, you know, millions of different gods. We believe in, in, in we have differences in what we believe about God, and that really, really, really matters. And so to your point, Braden, that, uh, this idea of love, how we define God in our theology determines how we define love. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, yeah, yeah. It uh, yeah, like the idea of love. Like, I'm just really hitting on that point. Like, you say love is love. Talking about you can talk about LGBTQ or whatever, all that stuff go into that category. But love, like this idea of love, this is a topic in and of itself. But I had to say it. Um, you love somebody enough to tell, like, okay. Why is Christianity the right religion? You love them enough to tell them that they're wrong, but that is not a worldly love. Like that's not the definition yeah, no, of worldly love. No. 
Yeah, no. wholehearted acceptance is the definition of worldly love, no matter what that person does. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some scriptures that I think of when I say, "Why is Christianity the one?" I go to Acts four twelve. It says, "Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved." So it's saying Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only name under heaven in a way you can be saved. So like you know, whatever the Mormon God is, whatever the Islam, uh, what's the Muslim God's name? Allah. Uh, Allah. It's the the yeah. Arabic word for God. Yeah. So, uh, whatever. So <laughs> Jesus is the only way to heaven. And then I read John fourteen six, which I'm the way, the truth and the life. You know, the only way to the father is through me. It's specific in how you get to eternal life. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we'll get hit on this later. Rises the question, well, how do you know that text is real? Well, it says Jesus is the only way. Well, how do you know it's real? We'll get into that later. But specifically, the, the scripture says Jesus is the way to eternal life. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things there, like related to scripture, to your point. I just like we could, we could lead into that Jesus, Jesus exclusivity. I think that's massively important. But one of the interesting things about scripture for me there's two things that, that uh, well, there's one big thing that God's exposing in my heart. Um, and there's another aspect to that. But, like, I think one of the massive things about Scripture is that it, I believe it rightly diagnoses the human condition better than any other book or any other writing, mm-hmm. any other self-help work, or any other psychologist. I, and another thing, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good, you're good. One thing that uh, I can really set on is, like, uh, I think that God would make it, you know, like if you are believing that there's a God, like he would make it a very decisive, the way the Bible is like, there's no if, ands, or buts about this. Hey, this is it. Like, we're not going to make this a complex. Everybody comes in. No, this is a very decisive. I mean, ultimately pretty basic. You know, you believe that you're saved by faith through Jesus. You accept him. You come in. And you do as he says, like, that's a pretty simplistic in the way, like, that's how I would see the God of the universe operating, not like, yeah. oh, well, everyone can come, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, then, and and not, this is, you know, ancient Near East, you know, during the time of Moses, they would, they would you know, kill animals and look at their entrails to find out whether God's, ha- you know, the gods are happy or not. <laughs> like, I don't think God works that way. Um, <laughs> then, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, the second thing is that, um, um, we had this really thing. There's this thing called uh, Slido. It's S L I dot D O. It's you know it's an online uh, um, you know like Q and A session kind of thing. I've done it with the uh, with the youth group here a couple times in the last couple months. Um, really interesting interesting thing happened is that there are continual questions about um, what were called the difficult texts of scripture, where there's texts that seem like they're so bothersome to you. And the one there's one uh, student that brings up. Uh, um, you know this, it's Second Kings 1, where Elisha, right, with an S-H, not Elijah, Elisha is basically walking down the road and all these kids come out and start mocking him and calling him bold and, and, and basically making fun of him. And then he basically, Elisha curses them and some bears go and kill the kids. And these kids could be 20, you know, they could be 20-something years old uh, in that culture, right? They could be so-called kids or children or whatever. Um and if you read that text, like, man, God's vindictive. Um, you know, you have, uh, you know, the Exodus where, you know, a whole army gets destroyed. That's a little bit more reasonable. 
my and the yeah. one I brought up is Second Samuel seven, I believe. No, Second Samuel five, I believe, is what it is. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but there's a story where Uzzah. I don't know if you heard the story. They're moving the the um, the Philistines are taking the ark. They're moving the, the ark back to Jerusalem, and they had improperly taken it. Right, they're supposed to take it on poles according to the Old Testament law. They had it on a cart. Well, the 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 ark yeah. was about to fall off, <laughs> I remember and Uzzah <laughs> reaches out to grab it, and God strikes him dead immediately. I'm like, dude, like he's trying to help. Like, um, so there's, there's this rapper named Shylin who I absolutely love, who says this phrase in, in, in response to this is that, like, for one second, he thought that his hands were cleaner than the dirty ground that God created. Right. And so, like, I think there's these texts, there's these texts in the Old Testament and New Testament where it presents God as out of your grasp. That there are things that you cannot, they're not easy, there's not easy answers to them. The, the God that we worship is, is untamed. You cannot tame him. You cannot control him. He is his own person. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things that theology of the Bible is so attractive to me. Yes. And so problematic to me because it's a God who is a consuming fire. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's such a I love that you brought that up because I I talk about this all the time. I think that um like Texas which is the people that I've spoken most most spoken to mostly about God obviously. It's like we've westernized God to like oh, you know, Jesus like it's just like he's sovereign. Like we need yeah. to get that through our heads. Like this is the God of the universe like like we don't mess with them. Like we are under him, like completely under him. And well, like in the old Testament, these people like legitimately were fearing God fearing because they knew what God can do. And we should still fear God. Like God can still, he's the one that can take away, truly take us away from, you know, the separate us from the kingdom of heaven or hell. Like, so we should fear him more than anything, more than anyone that can take, obviously this is scripture when it, uh, I don't, I'm sure y'all know, I don't know. Um, but it talks about like, uh, like don't fear the one that can take or, uh, kill Kill the body, but kill the one who can, yeah, cast body and soul into, yeah, damnation, yeah, the hell, yeah, Gehenna. Yeah. So that's like, like such an important thing for, that I try to, really uh just sit and digest is like oh i'm under him i need to keep that on on my mind that i'm a servant of the most high like uh even though jesus what he's done that makes us you know friends as well it makes us brothers it also what the god of the universe still puts me under him in a completely different type of way you know yeah yeah well i guess uh we spent like uh almost uh 15 to 20 minutes on topic one so i guess we should move on uh next question why do bad things happen to good people this is one of those questions that um if you're talking to any non-believer or people who may have ran from their faith this is a big one they don't understand why they go through what they go through um some points i have or we are not promised good things just because we follow jesus um and matthew 5 45 says that he sends the son the sun rises on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the whatever. Um, so, Matt, what do you think about that question? 
Yeah, so there's two sides to it, in my opinion. That there's one is that you're talking about the emotion. I don't know, and we can address both of them. I want to address both of them, but like, uh, there's the emotional question, right? Where you have been through something difficult, and you're like, you know, at the core of your being, in your emotions, you're struggling with, you know, a parent passing away, uh, a friend passing away. And I, we didn't get into this. I didn't want to go into this. I didn't want. I gave you the short version of it, but like. Ultimately, the interesting thing is that that one of the things that drew me to Jesus, one of the things he used to draw me to Jesus, um, the Lord used to draw me to Jesus was the death of a friend at 15. Um, he, a friend of mine died of leukemia when he was 15. Uh, well, he's 16. I was 15. Um, and over the next two years, I went to th- uh, four funerals, basically, right? Four, four, four funerals in two years. Uh, two of my grandmothers went, passed away and an aunt passed away where I... Um, I would literally spend my nights crying myself to sleep. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Crying myself to sleep because I thought there was nothing after death. And I could not, like, yeah, hold well. on to it. So here's what would happen. If you went up to 16-year-old Matt Keller and said, okay, here are seven reasons why you can, you know, you can address the problem of evil or, you know, how this struggle of why bad things happen to good people, I'd probably be like, shut your mouth, get away from me, like, you don't really care about me, Right. Um, so there is this, uh, the way you address this with people who are genuinely struggling to their heart is, is with kindness, compassion, and, yes. and, you know, an open ear. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, it has to lead to a conversation, probably not immediately, but down the road to what is the problem of evil, like, like articulating it very, very clearly. So let's, if I can do that. So here's how it's usually articulated. How okay? So, if a good, all-powerful, and all-knowing God exists, evil wouldn't exist. Evil exists, yeah. therefore God does not exist, right? Whether they they explain it that way or whether they like can even put anywhere near those words, that's what they actually mean. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So you have a couple options here, right? And we'll, talk, we'll get back to like the emotional part and how you address this at a personal level. But you have a couple options here. Option one is get rid of one of those attributes of God, right? Okay, so if yeah. God's not all, if God's not good, He doesn't care about you, right? He doesn't care something bad yeah. happens to you. Get rid of that. Okay, so put good back in its place. Let's say He's not all powerful. Well, maybe He knows it happens, and maybe He wants to do something about it. He just can't, right? Uh, don't like that one, so let's put that back in place and let's get rid of the all-knowing. Maybe he wants to do good, and maybe he can do whatever he wants. He just doesn't know you're you're, you're you know you're going through a bad time, right? So this mm-hmm. is what people have done throughout history. They've they've taken this issue and they've they've said, okay, let's change who we, what we believe about God, right? And um, kind of mold it into something that fits their what they're going through. Yeah, exactly right. So. Um, and there's a bunch of roads to go down there about like theological viewpoints. There's a thing called open theism that was that was beca- becoming popular in the 90s. I don't know where it is where it stands today. The idea that God doesn't know what's going to happen in the future, right? And this gets you around the problem of evil, right? And open theism. And the idea is like the future's open. Right? Tell me if I'm wrong. Is that kind of the along the the lines of predestination, um, all knowing, all that stuff? Is that 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 no. would have a role to play in this argument, yes. Okay. But that open theism, not necessarily. Um, yeah, yeah. The future, you know, 
reservation or knowledge of people going to heaven and hell was a motivating factor, right? Because the motivating factor was like, oh, God, God couldn't know somebody's going to go to heaven or hell before that, you know, before they're created or while they're living. He just can't know that because he would be unjust then. So a couple, couple things that need to be brought up um, with addressing this question. The first one is um, the classic way to address this is um, um, the allowance of human freedom. Right, that, that God created man and man and woman in His image, with a a where whereas their 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 actions have consequences, where their wills make decisions. Right, yeah. um, mm-hmm. this is very I wouldn't say this is controversial throughout the history of the church. Right, um, there's going to be Pelagius and Augustine who were you know argued tooth and nail over this you know. Uh, to the, not to the death, but like argued about this. And, and the issue would be is that I understand the struggle. So, so the one way to address this is to say that, okay, you have freedom. So a lot, m- many of the evils in the world have been created because of the evil actions of evil people. Correct. Yeah. Right. Um, the other aspect of that is that God did not make us robots so that what you want, we were created to worship. Robots don't worship. They follow programming. Right, they they they, they yeah. do not worship. They cannot worship. They will not worship. No matter how far into AI we get, that's a whole other road too. How far hard robots will not have the capacity to worship. They only have the capacity to work according to their programming. So we yeah. have a modicum of freedom, a, a a level of freedom that allows us to make choices that leads to evil consequences. So the real issue is like how why couldn't God make it to where? we were still free, but we didn't do evil things. I'm like, you, it's, it's yeah. illogical. It's, it's kind of like the idea of sin entered the world through Adam and Eve of their free will choice to disobey God. So yeah. that's how sin entered the world. So if I decide to drink and drive, my free will choice to drink and drive can affect a believer who chooses to follow. A, like everybody has free will. So since we live in a broken world from that original sin, um, someone else's free will choice can very well affect you, even if yes. you're a Christian. Yes. Um, so, and this is and this is where you say the God's sovereignty thing is that, that I believe God is still sovereign over every situation. And so, so, okay, two things come out of this. One, I believe since Adam and Eve, our will has fallen. That the illustration I always use. Have you ever been to a, uh, you know, like a Walmart? A Walmart HEB is not as bad, but like a Walmart where the uh, one of the wheels is janked up on the cart right and like what it does if you push it if you try to push it straight it always turns right like it won't go straight you want to you know so what i would say is that that what happens is that our wills and our flesh because of the fall have the janky will right we have the janky wheel and the we cannot go straight we have an inability to go straight but here's the other aspect of it it's not only we it's not only that we can't go straight we're pushing that cart down the row, you know, down the, down the aisle, and we like slamming into stuff, right? Like we love doing that, uh, so we enjoy sin, right? We mm. find yeah. we find satisfaction yeah. in sin because our wills are fallen. If our wills weren't fallen, we would not find. Even if we had the if we're, if our wills weren't fallen, even if we had the capacity to sin, we wouldn't we wouldn't like it at all. Mm. And then the other aspect of that is that I. It's beyond our grasp to understand it. People have created systems to try to understand it. It's beyond our grasp to understand that God is still sovereign in every situation, in my opinion. Yeah. So no, of I, I agree. That's a 
Oh, that's such a, a tough, tough, tough one. Like one thing I think about is for me, you have to think about, okay, so for instance, Peter, he was married whenever he was crucified, you know, like yeah. his wife, you know, what grief did she go through? Yeah. Like it's like God is sitting in heaven, like on his throne and he's like, like, why are we, as hard as it is for us, like, if it's someone that, especially a believer, you know, if they pass, you know, that's comes with a time of grief. And I feel like there's also a rejoicing in that because it's yeah. like, really, where they're going to heaven. Like, God is sitting in the throne room. Yes. Like, I don't think God is the most, like, concerned with my passing with me believing in him he's most concerned with me entering heaven's gates like ultimately so i think that uh that's such a i try to think of it sometimes from like you know like kingdom perspective god's perspective like you know he's up there right now thinking about you know he has all these um i've also heard the free will like God knows every possibility to every outcome. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, it's such a tough one uh, for me. To, I, I, I don't well, think about these things that much. The, uh, send you in such a whirl, but uh, say it one more time. So that God knows every possibility to every outcome. So thinking like, okay, there's two possible decisions that you make throughout your day. If you make one of them, God knows the outcome to that. And then if you make the other one, God knows yeah. the outcome to that one as well. Well, That's the idea of like predestination and free will. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but he knows everything we're going to do. Like he knows my whole life before it happens, but we still have a free will. Like we have choices every day that we're going to face and it's a free will aspect, but he already knows what we're going to choose. Yeah. So, um, so what you're talking free about will and both, Yeah, what you're talking about, Brayden, is a thing called middle knowledge. And that's that's the road we don't want to go down here. That basically, like, he knows the uh, the the choices, um, all possible choices in all possible worlds. Uh, that's a whole other road. But uh, as far as the the problem of evil comes down to this, you know, the problem of why the bad things happen to good people or whatever it is. Um, I think the real way you actually apply this is that. That that God has come near those who suffered. So so so, if you're talking to a person who's really struggling with it, how you address it is with the gospel, with Jesus, with the idea that He took on flesh, became a person, right, fully human, truly human, and that He sympathizes with our our, our sorrows, mm-hmm. right? That He it's not somehow that God's in the sky completely away from us is like you know just sneering his nose down at us you know you know pest petty little human crying over there no what it is that he has entered into our humanity and loved us mm-hmm. um i think this is how you actually address this problem when you're talking about this. god god when you come down to it god cares and god has proven once and for all and finally and forever that he genuinely and honestly and truly cares about you and sending his son for you. That that so yeah. there's these pictures where where the cross is a display of of God's glory and your good being um, sought after. 
right? Mm. And in, in Jesus' death, he was truly seeking the glory of his Father. And in Jesus' death, he was truly seeking your good. And so mm. if you have that as the character of God, that he is for his glory and for your good, and he has proved that, like you, uh, the, where else does the argument go? Like, like right, you, right, you right. can't go any further than that, right? Mm. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um. Would y'all like a, to take a five-minute intermission, uh, grab some water, collect our thoughts a little bit? Well, I am about to have about a half a dozen people show up. Really? Um, yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to cut well, out right here. Oh, you you need to go right now? Yeah, I need to go right now. So Okay. Well, um, I guess that just leaves us that we're going to have to have a part two eventually. Yeah, for You're sure. Have to get them. We got – that was – Half of the questions, so we're going to get you back on, finish the rest of the questions. But uh, thank you for being on here with us. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's enjoyable. Yeah, God so, bless. Sure. Yeah, uh, well, I guess uh, that ends the episode today. God bless y'all. We hope that um, everything we talk about on here can help y'all in y'all's walk um, with y'all's faith. And if y'all ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on social media. If y'all know us, text us, whatever. Um, we're praying for y'all um, and pray for us as well that we can continue to uh, be centered help this be centered around God and center this message for the right reasons um, that being said God bless y'all